CNG Chat here with a special episode, Remembering Neil Peart. So today is January 14th, Tuesday. Uh, it's actually exactly a week uh, since Neil passed away. Uh, we didn't find out until Friday, um, which is pretty incredible when you think about it. Oh, he passed what, on a Tuesday? Pa- yeah, last wow. Tuesday, the 7th. So um, they were able to keep it quiet. Um for a few days until they announced it. That's why it's the the announcement was such a shock. Um, I had no clue that he was ill at all. Not many people did, um, aside from his his very close inner circle. Um, you would think though something like that as serious as brain cancer and the type of tumor that he had, the glioblastoma. I believe it's the same type that. Um, Took out Gord Downey. Oh wow! So, what? So there's not much for bouncing back once you get this thing. You're not gonna. No, it's it's pretty much a a, a death sentence. Jeez. Um, he, he's lucky to have made it as long as he did. Is this a Canadian thing? I don't know. It's it's odd. It's most certainly is odd. But I mean, we only know two people, and they happen to be from Canada. Statistics need to come in. Uh, terrible. So if he found that you know much more about Rush. This was a, a big loss for you. Yeah. I mean, and for me too, you know, because I've always had the coat of progressive rock. And I mean, this is like, you know, if you're playing chess, Neil's one of the you know, the heavy hitters. I mean, you, you, if you're in a circle of metalheads and you're a prog guy, you're not going to say, hey, check out Gary Weathers from uh, General Giant or Bill Bruford. They don't even care. But if you're like, we got Neil. Yeah. Then they're like, well, okay, because Neil, did it, even if you know nothing about Prague, Rush is heavy, Rush is diverse, yeah. you know, and a lot of people like Rush. So, yeah, it, definitely uh, a big deal. I never saw it coming. I don't, you know, not that I waited for anybody to die, but it, we just had spoken about this the other night, that generation of musicians. Yeah, we literally, we recorded a podcast Thursday night. <laughs> And we talked about, you know, how we've lost, you know, Eddie Money, Rick Ocasek from the Cars. And we talked about how our musicians that we love so much are becoming that age where it's more likely that they'll they'll pass away soon. But I had no indication that Neil was unwell at all. So, and I even made the joke that Phil looked like the one who was going to yeah, go well. first. Uh, but you just don't know. You don't. And that, noth- that highlights it perfectly. You None of us know. Um, so that being said, yeah, big shock. I saw the the headline on Facebook and I thought it was just some sort of weird, you know, those internet hoaxes. Um, but then I noticed the source was CBC and I had just taken my break at work and it had been posted for about two minutes. Just as I was reading that headline, it's so weird. Bobby Perkins texted me. He's like, yo, what about Neil? I'm like, ah, I don't know. I'm checking on this. I didn't believe it yet. And then I opened the, the article and then... It was like the floodgates open. All of a sudden, like all the stuff was popping up everywhere. Articles. Yeah, I laid down for about fifteen minutes. Less calls, missed call from him. Then I see your mess all in the ten minute window, and then maybe it was released ten minutes before that. It all yeah. happened quick. And of course, I think Facebook markets these advertisements or these news articles or everything based on your interests. Yeah. So we're going to find out about Neil dying before, you know, somebody listens to the California Raisins. It's it's true. Or not music at all. Yeah. You know. Um, 
Yeah, so what a what a punch in the gut. It I, seems to me that I've seen more. Of course, I'm a musician, so again, we're in this other little. Uh, I don't know what you want to call it, but it's another sphere bubble that we're under because of our, our our occupation. But I saw more Neil Peart posts than I did Bowie um, yeah. on my Facebook. You know, not that you know Neil wasn't bigger than David Bowie. I'm not saying that, but it carried more weight around that this time. I'm again, maybe that day I didn't see all the posts about Bowie. Bowie obviously had a huge reach with everything. You know, you'll see in the news. I'm glad people recognize this man. You yeah. Know? No, he's somebody that definitely deserves to be recognized. Um, so much more than just a great drummer, though, as well. Um, I feel like people are really focusing on that, and that's probably rightfully so. He's most well known for that, but even a lot of people don't realize that he was the lyricist. Um, I've noticed a couple times that hasn't been mentioned or mentioned as much, but the man had a... a a phenomenal way with words. Um, he was always a fan of literature from a young age. The man read a lot, so um, his vocabulary was just. Some of those lyrics, I'd have to sit back and reread a couple times just to right really absorb it. But then when you do, it's like wow, this is profound stuff, and it's a you know it's a rock. Jeez, well my ride's here. <laughs> um. So, I, I lost track of where I was going. Lyrics, etc. So, um, it, without a doubt, he transformed Rush. A lot of people don't realize that he's not the original drummer. He joined in, I think, the end of 1974. Um, so, that first Rush album is really totally different than everything right. else they ever produced. Um, they probably, there's no way they would have became what they did without Neil's influence. Um, and it's because his drumming, yes, helped them shape what they were doing musically, but his lyrical approach was far beyond whatever was being done before that. Right. That's when the concepts came in. The And in those early years, the sci-fi conceptual pieces, um, which I enjoy those. Like, for example, this is uh, Hemispheres, Cygnus X1 Book 2. Um I like these pieces. You probably prefer these ones more. Yeah, thing. I mean, I don't. My, I know a lot of Rush, and then there's a lot of Rush I don't know. But uh, yeah, I like the Hemispheres. Um, Farewell to Kings is great. Uh, Twenty-one, twelve. I'm okay with. And then mm-hmm. there's one in there I was never a big fan of. Um, Caress of Steel. Oh yeah, that's that's okay. Um, moving Pictures is great. Well, yeah. I think Neil even said like if he wished that was their first album. Yeah, he believes that whenever that's when everything got put together, all their elements. Um, and almost every other occupation, he said that you could hone your craft and apprentice before you put out any body of work. You know, he practiced writing for twenty years before he put out a book. Yeah, he wasn't able to do that with the drums. You know, so he wished. You know, there's yeah. some amateur or novice shit there that's he he likes that stuff. Like he liked. A lot of that, he's not against it, and he makes the best of it, but he felt like, you know, it's green compared to what they achieved sure. in moving pictures. Um, but I think he appreciated the that it showed the progression that they had as musicians. That's one of the most fascinating things to me about Rush as a unit and Neil, specifically, his drumming and his lyrics and their songwriting. Um, 
is the their career spans quite a long way. They have lots of albums, and they weren't afraid to try new things. So you get to, if you follow it chronologically, you get to hear them changing and the evolution, uh, right? The evolution being inspired by other bands that were coming out, like Permanent Waves, which is one of my all-time favorite records. That's when like the police were coming on the scene, the new wave type of stuff. Um, and subsequently, Permanent Waves came after Hemispheres, and it's a totally different album. Things are a lot more concise. You have some radio-friendly <coughs> hits on it. Um, Spirit, the Spirit of Radio really broke open a lot of doors for them in terms of radio play, um, without a doubt. Um, Their biggest hit is Tom Sawyer. That's definitely the most financial signature, success. You know, I would imagine so. Just that's the song that's mostly most associated with them. I have to imagine. I feel that way, but Spirit of the Radio seems to be up there too. You know, now I think so. Um, and they said, um, you know, without uh, permanent permanent waves, there would be no moving pictures. Um, this song, this intro. Did you guys still play it in your group? We no, we actually pulled it out for the first time Saturday. In you know, in all seriousness, we've goofed around with it, but and you're still doing free will. No, we haven't done any free will. Um, but this song's just so great, and again, the lyrics, awesome. It's a feel-good song. There's that signature ride beat. Um, but yeah, these songs just have so much more of a direct feel to them, much more accessible for a casual listener. But when you go a little deeper below the, su- the surface, it's still uh, a finely crafted song. Yeah. The parts, the arrangement, the drum playing. Um, pretty incredible stuff. Um, how Neil played, he was, he was different than a lot of drummers he often called himself uh, oftentimes called himself a compositional drummer so he'd work out the parts in a very methodical way um, recording them would take a lot of time because he'd you know just keep honing the part and everything like that um, so everything he played he pretty much meant to play he meant whatever rhythm he was doing he meant to play it just in that in that way whereas somebody like me I'm kind of I got a general gist of what I want to accomplish, but I'm kind of, I'm just throwing arms around and whatever lands, lands. Right. Um, not so with him. Um, so it's interesting. He has had a lot of influence on me in some ways. I, you know, I see some of his playing in my own, but in other ways I'm not anything like him. Um, he wanted to become a better improv player, though, because he didn't want to be looped in that I structure everything. Yeah. Yep, he, he started feeling that way more towards the end of his career. He wanted to be more improvisational. Um, All he, the solos mostly were, a lot of them. No, that's the thing. A lot of, In the early days, his solos were pretty much Maybe in the later days, because Neil Peart thing where I was watching today, he said that a lot of that is just off the cuff. Mm-hmm. Unless I misheard him, well, I may have. If he's talking about like how he warms up, um, that's one thing. Because he doesn't warm... He, he used to do a warm-up that was... You know, he'd work on just concepts, but without any real, without any real, you got to get over this cold, man. <coughs> Have you gone to urgent care? I just did. <laughs> you sound terrible. We're back. Oh, oh my God. Anyway. Took a drink. Took a drink. On the wrong hole. 
<coughs> no such thing as a wrong hole. Anyway, Jesus. so be- <laughs> you need humor. You love I need humor. Look. I've been I've been in a dark mood these past few days. Um, but what were we talking about? Uh, drum solos. Towards the end, he had some structure still. So night to night, his drum solos would be the same structure. But he would leave areas for himself to really kind of go off and get out of the box. Whereas in early years, <coughs> in early years, the drum solo was pretty much the same thing night to night. You right. Know, do the same type of arrangements and such, and same beats and rhythms. And um, so things I've you know I feel like I've ripped off a lot of things from Neil. Like uh, that ride, that ride pattern. I do something very similar to that a lot of the time. Um, he was also notorious for riding on two different surfaces. So being, like, say it's just the ride cymbal. You know, a lot of drummers will just play either on the bell, one, two, three, four, <coughs> or out on the bow of the cymbal. But he would alternate, so he'd go bell, bow, bell, bow. So you get that king, 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 right. king. Right. And I started doing that, and I, it's hard for me to not do that right. when I'm playing something. Um, I have to focus on, okay, this would really be better if I just play on the bell or just on the, the both symbol. Um, that and, like, in the beginning of something like, um, oh, what am I thinking of? Subdivisions. Uh, he, he rides on two different surfaces, um, one being the, the ride symbol, the other being the hi-hat, um, which I thought that was the coolest. Yeah, I tried to do that when I played the arcade uh, machine down there, you know the one that has subdivisions on yep. it. Did not go. Did it's go. it's not easy because um, I got the timing. I understand yeah. like where I need to be next, but they actually play the riffs yeah. is the tough part. This is the part I'm talking about here. Listen to this. So both the ride and the hi hat going. So cool. So I remember watching the R30 DVD, and they had uh, like an overhead shot of him playing that. I'm like, that's just the coolest, coolest way to do a beat. It really fills up. Is the R30 sound. supposed to be 30 years? Yeah, the, 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 the they did. The did they make it the 40 years? Yeah, that was the last tour they did. Was R40. So that was the one that Bobby went. Uh, Bobby and Willis went with me and Mary down in Buffalo. But were we in a band still then, or no? Yeah, yeah, because yeah, it was 2015. I never went. No, but did you? You didn't go to Chick Korea with us. No. Yeah. So that's not so much. I mean, I you would have pooped. I mean, I respect Chick Korea. Yeah, I'm sure I would have been blown away. But going to I don't know. You're Rush, a rock and roll man. I you am know. a rock and roll man, and just finding Rush just really hit that sweet spot for me. There's the technicality there, but there's they have some heavier aspects to them. Like I enjoy Genesis, some Genesis stuff, and yes, but. I like a little, you know, there's, yeah. I want a little more meat and taters in there. It's funny, when we first started playing together, you were into Nirvana and you were into Foo Fighters, and mm-hmm. then Rush started coming in, yep. you know, but that's where I knew you were kind of seeded. You tried King Crimson, you tried Yes, you gave everything a listen. Genesis, you had no choice, it was always there, <laughs> but with with Rush, like, that became kind of where you sat, you know, since you almost high school was over. Yeah, I bought that greatest hits and brought it on that boat cruise we had with Burdett and the band. We got to play our own music through the thing, and I brought the oh. Rush greatest hits. Yep, and I remember Fly By Night being my favorite off of that at the time. But uh, I remember hearing La Ville Strangiato for the first time with you. I think in your car, we were riding. Yeah, the I had it on a burnt CD because I used to burn tracks off Prague archives. Yep. Yeah, that was the first time you heard it, huh? think so at least that's my most vivid memory of listening to it because i remember you being like 
yeah, Tom Sawyer's cool and all that, and I'm, but you got to listen to this. Yeah, and, I pooped. Uh, that Buffalo Head turned me on to that. Yeah. Um, I mean, that's definitely a, a masterpiece in terms of how they played on that. And they, they admitted that they kind of overreached themselves when they recorded that. Um, the Hemispheres, the whole album was a bitch to record. It's probably um, the most progressive, right? I'd say that's Farewell yeah, really Kings, that. right in a second. Yeah. That's before this, isn't it? Yeah, Farewell King Farewell to Kings leads into Hemispheres. Um Yeah, they were definitely at their pro you know, the the stereotypical prog era, that sound, that approach. But the funny thing is they never did a full length concept album in, until their final album, Clockwork Angels. Twenty one twelve wasn't considered that. No, only one side of that's concept. Mm. The second side is like Passage to Bangkok. You like that singles. last album they did? Yeah, it's one of my top... It's in my top five. Did he already know when they did the album that he was sick? No. Uh, so he... They said he lived with it for three and a half years. So that would have been just about a year after they retired from touring. They finished the tour in 2015, the R40 tour. Um, and then, um, you know, they... I knew at the time that that R40 tour, that was, that was it. Uh, it seemed to be... They even said in their press release, they said something like, this is most likely the last tour of this magnitude. Something like that. Did the band stop playing because Neil had a brain tumor? No. Okay. The re- the reason... Let's they- get this clear. Yeah. If you're well, listening to the podcast, you're probably listening to, for answers like that. Those are questions people have had yeah. lately. You no, know, that's good. That helps me stay on track with this. No. So, tendonitis. That was his main reason... For not being able to play, oh, he's physically level. losing. He, he was wanted, yeah. So it was very hard for him to play the way he wanted to play, and I can relate to this having had some issues with my right. Is it arm. getting harder than it was when we were in high school? Yeah, I mean, there's. I notice sometimes. Um, and doesn't it stink <laughs> that we're better now oh, yeah. than we were in high school? Yep. And the, yeah, and now, you're crippled up. Now the body starts. And going. I'm worse. You know? <laughs> <laughs> Think how I feel. imagine that. Um, but yeah, so um, as a drummer, Neil was always more of a... He was technical, but he was a, he was a heavy hitter. He was quite heavy-handed. Yeah, Neil looked like um, a solid man. Yeah, but all that type of playing takes its toll. So he was having shoulder issues and chronic tendonitis, so re- leading through the elbow, um, which that can be r- real miserable. Um, and as well as, you know, on the last tour, he had problems with his feet. He had like psoriasis issues or something like or that. Or neuropathy, is that what it is? Was that what... I don't think it was neuropathy. Psoriasis? It, it, it was... It, it happened because he always rode his motorcycle between gigs. Yeah. And they are doing a lot of riding in the rain, so he actually developed, like, an infection on his feet, like a fungus. Got swamp uh, foot or something. <laughs> yeah, and get trench foot, yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah, he was dealing with things like that. But, yeah, it was just... It was hard for him to maintain that level, and he did not want to be out there touring and a shadow of his former self and that's another thing you can respect about all three of the guys problem is doing that music though like it's it's not only the prog the complicated side i get that that's still like but i think as you get older what's good you're going to lose the physical side before you never lose what you know in your mind in most cases well yeah yeah so but if it's heavy and it's bombastic and it's it takes a lot of stamina. Yeah. You know, sometimes it's better being the Carpenters, you know. Yeah. They probably only get better. Well, Karen's not with us, but you know what I mean. If she were, she didn't get God better. bless her soul. Uh, 
you know, if she had one more Swanson dinner, we could have had a tour today. And I guarantee the care of the carpenters would have probably been just a sure. solid. Like Minus say, the vocal parts, you know. You get older, you lose. That's physical again. Yes, and that's the thing. Um, and Alex was having his problems, too. Um, he was having arthritis issues with his fingers. After beating like, cops up down <laughs> in Orlando. Well, they got what they deserved. Anyway, uh, <laughs> and Getty, you know, Getty's voice. You know, definitely towards the last few years, you could tell it was a lot of work for him to be up in those super high, uh, that upper register. I mean, his voice still sounded good, but as you get older... They did drop key signatures, though? Yeah, for some of the songs they did, uh, they would drop it a whole step. Um, But, you know, as you age, your voice gets deeper. Billy Joel's a prime example of that. I don't know as if he plays any of his songs in the original key anymore. Um, Your voice will just deepen over time. It's Right. there's a few exceptions, John Anderson being one of them. Yeah, that man. Is His not... voice has always been a little odd, though. But I think because he, he can talks... sit there and talk like this. Yeah, that's why. You know, when you got it's a natural timbre. Yeah, yeah. Getty doesn't exactly sound like that. No, Getty's speaking voice is normal, like, kind of like yours. Yes, a very normal. It's kind of a little more up and nasally, but not much. No. Anderson's Mickey Mouse. Yeah. You know? Where Getty accomplished his range is much how I do is you're belting. You know, you're really belting. You're using a lot of air probably more tension than you should to hit some of those notes. Um, so that, you can't do that. God, but John Anderson would have you're never. You're slamming that coffee cup down. And it's, you don't hear that go through the mic? I hear it. But Sounds like a thunder. <laughs> Whoa. Uh, be, but again, John Anderson would never fit Rush. No. He could have never, he didn't have the uh, aggression to fit that kind of a, a project. So, you know, they're definitely two different high voices. Yeah. Yep, certainly. Um, although it would be interesting to see it on a chart like uh, the highest note, the highest and lowest notes that they could sing. You know, see how close they are in actual range, even though they're, uh, what is it, timbre? Tamber's I feel different. like Getty's high, but Getty doesn't ever go high to f- like for fanfare's sake. You know, like for a showboat or a parlor trick. Not in his later years. I mean, some of the earlier stuff he... I just thought it was written in there. I never thought he did like a improvisational hop up like a lot of singers would. Oh, yeah. It was there. It was written yeah. to go there. Sure. Whereas, like, kind of sing... Anderson will kind of do-wop it up, you know? Yeah. Um, Getty didn't... He stuck with the line he wrote. He never really went higher than that. It's hard to say. I think John Anderson definitely is the higher singer. But in all fairness, I mean, Getty Lee's playing the bass guitar the whole time. John's yeah. standing there, sometimes playing a harp or something yeah. weird. Yeah. You know, that was the difference. Getty, you know, yes had it made because they had all that instrumentation to really support any right. singer. You know, he had three people in Rush doing what they did. Which is another thing that attracted me to that as well. Um, <laughs> I, I, some of those first DVDs that I watched, I'm like, man, the three of them are doing that. And I was always fascinated by like how Getty would trigger sounds with the, the MIDI foot controller and Alex would do the same. And even Neil would trigger things off of trigger pads on his kit. So the way they incorporated samples and everything like that um, to make those sounds, those songs sound just like the album. So the man died in the hospital. I don't even know that much. They didn't, they didn't release much in the way of details. I'm, we're getting some friends accounts now. Some of like uh, Kevin J. Anderson, who wrote with him a couple of novels that he did uh, centered around clockwork angels he wrote something uh, just in the past couple days talking about how he flew out to see Neil, you know, towards the end. Um, so Neil had been dying for 
three and a half years. I mean, once he had that prognosis, he you know he was upfront about it with his inner circle. Because um, you can't get this thing removed. No. Because it's on the brain. Right. Yeah. There's just they. From what I understand, when it grows, it grows like these finger these fingers out of the the center of the tumor, like through the brain. And it's very aggressive and it's very fast. It has its own, uh, it's got its own blood vessels, you know, so it's got good blood supply. So it just mul- and the cells multiply rapidly. So um, that's why it's essentially a death sentence. And in the time frame that I read that's most common is about 18 months. Wow. You don't know how you get this thing. Nobody, we, that's a whole nother podcast, I'm sure. Oh, Cancer yeah. research. Oh, but, my God. Yeah, I, I, that's too bad. He was such a brilliant mind. What it, uh, it's just it's cruel. And the, he went through hardships in his life. In the late 90s, after they finished their test for Echo Tour, his his daughter uh, died in a car crash, I believe, going to college. Um, and then 10 months later, his longtime partner, essentially his wife, she died of cancer. So uh, talk about that's the, the worst possible thing that can happen to somebody. He lost his family, you know, almost... In the course of a year, so um, he went. He rode his motorcycle, covered fifty-five thousand miles all over North and South America. Um, he made it through all that. You know, I can't imagine. I would want to just end it probably. You know, if I went through right. that. Um, so how he made it through that—that's incredible in and of itself. And then he decided that he actually wanted to play in the band some more, um, which. <sighs> That's absolutely incredible. When I, you know, so I've been sad, you know, the past few days. I'm kind of like, oh, you know, now I, it's just, it's final. Now you know. At least in the back of my head, as much as I knew R40, that was it. In the back of your head, you have, well, maybe they'll get together and do some something, some sort of, you know. But now it's, there's, that'll never happen. That lineup will never happen. It reminds me of, well, kind of how we talked when we lost Anthony, like, it's so final. It's never going to happen again. No. It's over. Um, that that chemistry, that friendship. So tying back to Rush, you know, uh, that friendship uh, between the guys. So that's been a bummer to think about it. But going back to talking about Vapor Trails, how they came back in 2002. When you think about where their career would have left off if he just never came back after 97. Yeah, they were successful and whatnot. But once they came back... They really, their popularity really increased quite a bit. Right. You know, um, they just really became more accepted, it seems. Um, uh, they became more universal. Um, and that all happened from Vapor Trails on. So, um, this, which this is the opening track off uh, Vapor Trails. So, this was Neil coming back. Uh, and, the, and the title track's called One Little Victory. Um, but the the whole album, probably not an album you'd really get into. I had it. I owned it. Wasn't there a song in there? Is it Roll the Bones or is it not that? No. Or something Ghost? Uh, Ghost Rider. That's it. So, yeah, if we switch over to that tune. Um, yeah, I had this album. Yeah. So this is, this is a nice tune. This is one of my favorites on the album. But this is literally, he's talking about doing that. This is... Him singing about, or well, not singing, Getty singing, but him writing about just going on that journey on the, on the motorcycle. Um, so when you think about, you know, put put yourself in that mindset, you've just lost 
your daughter and your wife and you don't know your purpose, you don't know the meaning of anything, you just set out. So that's what this touches on. Um, some good vocal harmonies and things like that. But this album definitely has a more of an aggressive sound to it. It's kind of like they're, they harken back to their 2112 days, you know, when they did come back with this. Um, but yeah, once they did this, then they went down to Rio. You know, they had that huge Russian Rio concert that they found. Big following down there, huh? Yeah, and they, they tapped into all Pablo of Escobar showed up. <laughs> <laughs> Gave goats know. away. They, they, they may have. Um, and then after that, um, you know, they had their 30th anniversary. They did the R30 thing. Then they went into Snakes and Arrows, which this is far cry off of Snakes and Arrows. So they, in their later years, after their comeback, they definitely were more of that power trio, the original power trio. No real keyboards. Yep. And any of the That's later right. stuff. Um, but they settled into a whole other era. And, um, like I said, their popularity. At the end, when they finished with R40 in 2015, I mean, the, all the shows were sold out pretty much. Um, they really had a lot of people's attention at that point, which is nice. And they finally got into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in 2013, which, not that it should mean a whole lot, but it's nice to have that validation. It is. Um, at least he got it. Chris Squire didn't. Yeah. He's the only one in Yes that gave a shit about it anyway, you know? They didn't care. Yeah, he never lived to see it. No, but he wanted it. No, he didn't. But in the end, you know, Neil Peart goes down as one of the greatest drummers of all time, musicians, period. You know, people don't... The, the outpouring that I've seen in the last week has been pretty, pretty big, pretty yeah. profound. Yeah, very profound. Um, and everybody that's that knew him uh, that I've read you know they all say how just how great of a person he was he was such a genuine gentle caring person um, and, you know over the years I always kind of Neil left me kind of cold because he was so private in terms of the band you know and right. I was just I didn't feel like I identified with him as much um, because of just the way his personality how his mind worked about things like fame and whatnot. but the more I've been thinking about it, you know, these past few days, um, you know, he was a real person. He was, yep. To, you know, that's not even that's understating it, but he was, um, he was so smart and he was so well read and he was so genuine with the people that he did uh, become friends with. Um, you really have to respect that. He just didn't want to do the bullshit. You know, the line in Limelight: "I can't pretend a stranger is a long-awaited friend." That's, you can't argue with that. Yeah. You know, how often do you have to kind of just be like, oh, you know, why, why play the game if it's not genuine? You know, you can't argue with that. No, but you got to give people a moment. I'm sure Neil did. I mean, we experienced that too. There's a lot of people I don't want to, and it's not that I don't, I have a personal problem with people I don't know, but I don't, especially as I get older, I want to be left alone when I'm on the break. Yeah. In a sense, you know, yeah. even from uh, each other. Sure. Yeah. But I will make small talk with people and I will entertain them for a few seconds because that means something to them. That's why I'm here for them. I mean, part we get you get it. You, you're here to play because it's self-serving to a degree. That's where it began. Yeah. 
Although in my case, I was always looking for attention somehow. Either I'm a goofy or I'm getting in a fight or I yeah. something. You know, music just happened to be something I stuck with and, and excelled at. But yeah, and, but you need an audience. You, that's the, the, the key here. So you have to give them your time. And, and I, some people give more than others. You know, you're good with that. Yeah, I, I always felt like I didn't do it as... Uh, as much or as well as you did in terms of mingling. I, but like you say, a lot of times... Comes at a cost, though, too. I mingled because, you know, I party mode. Yeah. You're in party mode at that point in the game, and so everybody's your friend. Yeah. But it's not the case. No. Stop party mode and who's your friend. Yeah. You know, only a few. And it, I think that's a cycle a lot of musicians uh, go in and out of forever. Or for hopefully, you know, myself... Uh, and the people I love, it's something you go through and then get through, you know. But it's a tough deal playing out all the time. Neil, you know, to segue to, back to that, he didn't seem to have any substance problems. He no. didn't have any. And that's wonderful because um, that's not, that's none rare. Of the, none of them really did. Again, the, the, as the unit, there were no real big, um, there was no big drama. There were no scandals. Um, even, you know, like Gene Simmons of Kiss said in their young days, you know, they opened for Kiss. And Gene's like, man, the girls would just be walking around in the hotel rooms. They're lined up there, and the guys in Rush never even. You know. Just, a di- they're not rock. It's a different kind of rock star. Yeah. I mean, that's not. There's not a show. Every day, Gene Simmons had to wake up and be like, I have to be a bulletproof. I have to look. You have to look. If you want to look. But for the role of being this, even today in music, you have to look like you're some other immortal. Well, you have to have a curated image, you know, um, to be. He bleeds. Of- <laughs> he bleeds red too. He could. He cries. He, you know, yeah. these stupid little things. You're not. That's why people come. Sometimes they idolize these musicians yeah. so much that it's a whole. You know, you look at it like it's fucking Batman. Yeah. When in fact it's not. It's a human being. That's another thing that Neil, when you in an interview, is a human being. Yeah. You know, I, I saw a Miles Davis interview last night, and that's not a human being. Sure. And maybe I caught him on a wrong, but he, he's just above everyone, you know, or tries to be sometimes, and that doesn't make for a good interview either. Right. Um, and but it gives them an it gives you that illusion about him. Yeah. This mis- mystery. Maybe he's just, you know, sure. we don't get him. But I think a lot of that's a bunch of bullshit. I think yeah. you're putting on a front. Mm. Um, Gene Simmons had to put on a front. Although I sure. will say Gene Simmons never did drugs in his whole life. Yeah, Gene Simmons a drug-free man. He did pave his own way there. But, I mean, he played the role of a front man in a band. Yeah. And you have to do that to a degree. I mean, back to what we were saying, mingling. You have to take a little time for people. Um, but I take less and less time, you know, as I get older. I, I just I become more intolerant of taking my time to talk to um, not everybody, but if I don't know you and you know I I don't have th- three minutes anymore with twenty people. Yeah, you know we're not playing ten thousand. We're not playing arenas like Neil. But you, I, but the, you know that's a good little topic to talk about too. Yeah, because um, he definitely did not. Yeah, he was he was very shy. Um, that's where a lot of it stemmed from. Uh, he wasn't trying to be mean or anything like that, and he just was uh, very shy. So, And then after those tragedies happened, he really withdrew from doing interviews, which is understandable because yeah. you know people are going to ask and tap dance around it, and you know what? Why bother? Let Alex and Getty do the press. 
Um, so that's understandable. Um, but yeah, the interviews he did give were always very, you know, if he was going to do an interview, it was usually high quality. He'd sit down, he'd have a good conversation, a dialogue about whatever the topic was. That's why watching interviews with him are very interesting. He's so well-spoken. Yeah. But he, he, you can tell he's a very intelligent man, very well-read, but he's very humble. Yeah. He's, he's, he, he said it in the one I was watching. There's a lot of dr- great drummers. I can't do what they're doing, you know. Yeah. That's nice to hear Neil say that. Yeah. Well, and he was still a student. That's the thing as well. In the 90s, he took the time to study with Freddie Gruber. You know, he he Neil had done a Buddy Rich tribute and... He was conflicted with his own playing at that point. Neil was never a jazz drummer, even after taking lessons. You know, he just jazz wasn't his main thing. But he took the time at that point. He's been playing the instrument for what thirty years yeah. or whatever. He could have said, "I'm Neil Peart, bitch." Yeah, but instead, he took the time to break down his whole technique, basically relearn how he did the the core fundamentals from the ground up. I don't have that dedication. Yeah. <laughs> like, that's incredible that he did that. And he did it in the interest of becoming better at his craft. And that was one of his quotes that comes to mind is, what I really want fans to see and hear with either the lyrics or the drumming is that care has been taken here. Right. You know, so, and that's the thing I've been thinking about a lot, too, is listening to maybe some of these Rush songs that I'm not a huge fan of, or I think they're maybe a little... Uh, a little cheesy, but I think of well, they really worked hard on this as an artist. He, you know, at that moment, he put everything he had into it, and nah, I don't identify with it. And maybe it's not. The but you can't say it wasn't a well. B- the structure, you know, it it was the work was put into it. Right, it's still relevant. They didn't half as. It's not something that 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 wasn't their thing. Who else that remind you of Zappa? It's like sure. I don't get what the hell's going on here, and I can't take it ser- seriously. Depending on the track, of course. But Jesus, yeah. Like when you find out what was put into this, like yeah. gee, that they, they notated that. You mean somebody just didn't fall on it, right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> you know, because sometimes I, you know, wow, there was organization to that. Then you appreciate it more. But again, and we've said this, you know, just because it's jazz doesn't mean it's good. Just because it's this sure. doesn't sure. mean there's a lot of shitty shit that time's been taken on and yeah. it should have never been. Sure, that and, is a good point. And there's two minutes of someone's time where they wrote, you know, dinky doodle and those stuck. So I, I don't know. Yeah. Um, Regardless, you put. It's nice to see those guys always committed to making everything great. You know, they were perfectionists, and and you can't be a progressive rock band and half-ass it. Yeah, that wasn't the mission. And you can't tell me all three of those. Well, you just said it with Neil. He sought out to drum better, drum different. You know, and there's got to be a lot of pressure on being that guy. Mm -hmm. You know. Because even the drummers that you know are better than you are like, well, everybody thinks you're better than me. And you know, I'm sure he didn't think that way, but you had to run into that. Let's say, you know, he's running into Dave Weckl down at the sure. uh, Guitar Center in L.A. Nobody cares about Dave. Well, I'm not saying that. And if Dave Weckl's <laughs> listening, I care yeah, about Yeah, like you. Dave Weckl's listening to this. But 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 no, your average Joe does have no clue who he is sure. or his capabilities. But Neil would probably say Dave Weckl mopped the floor with me. Yeah. Uh, and I don't know what Dave Weckl would say. But I know it must burn some drummers' asses to know they're 
not notice, but Neil was. And so the pressure on Neil was probably enormous when Neil in his mind knew, like, yeah. I could be so much better or listen to what this guy's doing, yeah. you know. But I think, you know, that comes with the turf of being but a great the, musician. The thing with Neil, though, is he would be the first to acknowledge that and say that. Yeah. If somebody was, you know, strong and somebody, he would say it as a matter of fact. And, um, you know, he didn't have any of this crazy ego. And I think that's, you're, you're really seeing that with a lot of these uh, celebrities. Um, you know, writing statements about how you know how they knew him and the type of person he was. Um, so, I mean, it's it's I, like that old Clapton say? quote. I believe it's either Clapton said it or Hendrix said it, but it's those two together. Guy goes to the Hendrix or the Clapton gig that night oh. and yells out, "Jimi Hendrix is better than you," and he goes, "I know." You oh know? yeah, that's great. You know? I thought I thought you were gonna say. Uh, I know Neil had referenced when. Uh, Eric Clapton had said when he saw Jimi Hendrix play, he wanted to go home and burn his guitar or throw it away or something like right. that. And Neil said, well, I never understood that because when I see somebody that's better than me, it makes me want to go practice. Yeah, exactly. No, I'm with you, but you do hear that a lot even locally. I just want to burn my drums after yeah. hearing so-and-so. And I'm like, no, I just want to get so-and-so back in three months. <laughs> I'm going back into the cave that and is, I will come out. But that's me. That no, I'll you. show you. I'll look limp, but we'll get you. Uh, and that's cool. I'm not, mean, I'm not quite to your level. I don't I'm, mean I'm, it's so dark. I know. I'm more like, what can I What can I kind of rip off from this person? What can I steal in a half-assed way and incorporate it into what I do? Um, there's something to learn from everybody. Anybody that's a decent musician, you can learn something from them. Um but I guess at this point, to we'll start thinking about wrapping it up. So it's a huge loss, and it's you know it hurts, and it's some people don't understand it. You know, people have been like, "Well, <coughs> you didn't know him. Like, why? Well, I don't understand." Well, it's not. I'm not sad. Like I just lost you know a, one of my parents or a grandparent. It's not. But you know him better than you know some of the people you've been around your whole life because. Of the investment in the band, yes. that what the output of the band, the lyrical content alone, I mean, tells you some insight on this man. If you follow this man and dedicated to the field he was in, which you have, that's not. The people cried when John F. Kennedy got shot. It's not their brother. Sure, it's 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 something else. Um, it, he's an icon. Um, and all for the right reasons. And yeah, some people aren't going to get it and, and that's okay. Yeah. I don't expect them to get it. Um, but yeah, you, you just, I couldn't say it any better than that. Really. I've listened to so much of his work and the, the words that he wrote, uh, connected with me on a, a lot of levels many times. Um, and the books he wrote, I mean, he's, he, he published quite a few books, um, which I've read a couple of, um, you you immerse yourself in that, and you do get a sense of the type of person that he is, because um, like we talked about, he didn't put on fronts. He was straight, straightforward in how he would uh, talk about what was in his you know his heart or in his mind. So, um, you're bound to have a connection like that. And Rush fans, and I'm not even you know as much as people like to think I'm a super fan, compared to some of the Rush fans that have been around since the beginning, there are Rush fans out there that have been to hundreds of shows. Right. Like, going on 200 shows. Yeah. And they say, yeah, this is number 198 for me. I was able to go to six, and I'm very grateful. Okay, so, uh, touching on, we'll work on wrapping this up now. So, a whole bunch of thoughts and feelings, and I'm sure I'm going to think of 10,000 other things I wanted to say and talk about, but... It is what it is. 
Neil, Alex Getty, the band Rush, they put out so much quality work. Um, their shows were always of the highest level. You could tell they were earnest in what they were doing. That's why this hits so hard to um, all these Rush fans. And yeah, I'm a younger Rush fan, like I was touching on before. Um, but yeah, I've I've been vested in them. You know, it's um they they fulfill me in a way that just nothing else has that I've found yet. So um, it's um, it's just odd to think that that that's done. You know, that person's it's a gone. story. It's a book. You know, and it's mm-hmm. it. That's it. Yeah. And more or less, yeah. there's always something, but the, that's the story. Yeah. The story of Neil, anyway. Mm-hmm. So, um, not a whole lot more to say. We could go on forever. Um, but I think with that, we'll leave you with this. This is actually the final Rush song. If you've never listened to Rush before, listen to Rush. It'll do you good. So, uh, for all intents and purposes, this is their farewell, the last track off of Clockwork Angels, The Garden, and it's Neil writing about how to live a life. It's something to In this ponder. Wild, many possible worlds, I'll find that 